you mean while we're in other worlds, we can't let on where we're from, huh? We gotta protect the world border. Right, world border. <laughs> Whoa! Kingdom Hearts related since we last spoke. I've, I've, I've started playing Final Fantasy 7 again because I can't stop. Not yes. even the remake. I, I went back to playing Original 7. Ooh, OG OG. Yeah. Uh, which, which platform is it on? Uh, I own it on Steam, which is not the most intuitive, actually. Like, uh, the program itself is like, it pre like, the PC version predates Steam, I believe. So it's pretty, it, it feels kind of like an old game. Like, you you know, you boot up a game in Steam, and it goes directly to it. Uh, Final Fantasy has its own little launcher that pops up with uh, your profile oh, wow. and your achievements, and I'm like, it's crazy. Um, Does it have I, the um, the speed up features and skipping battles? It does not actually. So I have to oh, play God. it. I have to play it in all its OG glory. Unthinkable. I I honestly don't think I can make it through those games if I didn't have those features. Yeah, uh, I, I guess the, the the short version is I played it before Remake came out up until what well, Remake would cover, uh, and then when I switched my computer out, the game is so dated that it does not have cloud saves at, by default. Like, Steam usually will keep a cloud save, but uh, FF7 needs permission to do its own cloud save, so I was just oh, replaying up to where I left Cloud off, save? Uh, Wait, did, 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 there you go. <laughs> I've been playing a little game called Celeste. Not sure if you've Ooh, heard of that one. I have heard of Celeste. I have actually bought it for two people, and I've not bought it for myself. <laughs> uh, Matt Thorson, or like a Matt Does Games, is the developer yep. behind it. And I played the heck out of their previous game. Not sure if it's their first game, but at least their previous game, Towerfall. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I played a little bit of Towerfall, and it's good. Okay, so this is your first time playing the game called Celeste? This this is my uh, second and a half time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've completed it. It's very important. I've completed it fully once, and I've tried going back and replaying it a few times over the years. So I first played it... 2018, like right at the start of the year, so about three years ago. It's it's kind of a weird game to replay because it's very much based on replaying the levels anyway. Uh, you can really easily jump in, try where you were stuck earlier, and go okay. for all the extra collectibles and whatnot. So it's kind of, you're already replaying it basically, so you know, starting from scratch really isn't much different from just 
going back to level one in the fight you already have and just playing it to like get whatever okay. you still have left. So it's kind of a weird sort of disconnect. But I finally did that this year because it's been a few years since I played it, so it's pretty okay. pretty fresh now. I've been playing it, and it's still awesome. It's definitely one of the best Switch games. I have a personal connection to it because it's one of the first major indie games I played on Switch. Because I remember it came out like you know in 2017, which is the first year of the Switch. I think it came out around the same time as Odyssey, Mario Odyssey. Um, that sounds about right. The end of 2017. Yeah, I, I specifically remember it was revealed in a direct. Remember those Nintendo directs? Nope. What are those? Grandpa, tell me about your Nintendo Directs. <laughs> um, and it was just like a little indie game. And I remember at the time, I was like, I don't care about this. Show me, you know, show me Mario. Show me Zelda. Show me, well, not Smash. Yeah, yeah. It revealed. It's been revealed. Yeah. But show me the actual Switch games, because there really weren't a lot at that point. But how foolish I was, because, like I said, it's one of the best games on Switch, frankly. So, yes. yeah, I've been playing through it. I'm close to the end and then there's the special final level which was released for in a free update uh maybe like a year or two after the game came out which i have not played yet so that'll be fun to kind of go back to see something that i haven't gone through yet yeah been having a good time celeste highly recommend it especially i guess i should explain it's a 2d platformer very much like super meat boy where it's it's very difficult, but it's also super forgiving, because um, anytime you die, you just go right back to the start of the screen, set up the entire level, and there's no live system, um, which is probably one of the things I appreciate the most about it, because one of my major sticking points for games is, is it wasting my time? I have very, have very little patience for a game that just, <laughs> you know, yeah. makes you do things you've already done. That's just really annoying me, but Celeste is really good about that, so yeah, check it That's out. Good. It, um, game. What else was I going to say about it? That it's uh, such a good game, and that everybody should buy it now. <laughs> it's it's a good game. Not, this is not a threat. What are you talking about, Grandma? <laughs> I remember. It's it's a good game, but it also has a really good story. Yep. And it talks about, you know, mental health issues, which is really cool to see. And it actually, like, translates into gameplay well. So, That's yeah, good. it was a nice little surprise of, like, wow, this game's, like, much deeper than I thought it was. There's layers, like an onion. (laughs) I'm sorry. Exactly. I've I've been saying that a lot in life, and now it just translates to everything. Oh, yeah. I was chopping onions a few nights ago, and the whole time, that's all I could think about. (laughs) Through through my tears, I was thinking of Shrek quotes. That's how I got through it. As you should. So, yeah, that's Kevin Marshall's Game Corner. I thought, you know, maybe it'd be fun to talk about other games for a little bit. But uh, this isn't a Celeste or Final Fantasy podcast, although it is a Final Fantasy adjacent podcast. Because it's a Kingdom Hearts podcast, baby. With all that preamble out of the way, let's let's jump back in to where we left off. Where did we leave off last week? We left off at the end of the Dive to the Heart, where Sora beats up Darkseid. You make uh, the most important (laughs) two decisions you'll ever make in your life. Um, I mean, pretty much. Yeah. This will be shown on your permanent record. Exactly. Mortgage, eh. Marriage, kinda. But what weapon you chose in the beginning of KH1, it will be with you for the rest. It's look, it's on the back of your driver's license if you uh, <laughs> just flip it over. Yes. So, yeah. Sora wakes up on 
Destiny Islands. She got smell of sea salt in the air. And yeah, we are officially back in the real world. Um, so this is an important cutscene because I mean it's pretty much the first real cutscene in the game. But yeah. it introduces our main trio of Sora, Riku, and Kai Rei. Uh, so fun fact: um, most people probably know this, but their names are the Japanese words for Sora, Sky, Riku, Earth, Kairi, Water. Although really, Kai means water, but that didn't. Ah. Yeah, but it didn't sound very feminine, so Nomaru slapped a, a re on the end to make it Give sound Give me a more... break, Kai. Yeah, 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 that would have sounded a little off, weren't it? it I, yeah, I can, I can see that, yeah. Okay. So we should also mention the voice actors for our main trio, because they all have pretty decent names for themselves. So Sora, naturally, is Haley Joel Osment, who at the time was best known for being the sixth sense kid. Yeah, I was about to say, if you don't know who he is, he's a Sixth Sense kid at the end of the day. <laughs> Pretty much. Although it's it's weird to me, because I can never pinpoint his Kingdom Hearts 1 voice to any of his movie roles, because, one, it was in that very weird in-between time where he was still going through the, the puberty. So mm-hmm. I'm sure he didn't really have a lot of roles like that were notable then. You know, when he was a kid... Obviously, he sounded way different, and that's when most of his big roles were. Um, he was also in that movie, AI. He's in it, um, I think it was a few years after Sixth Sense, but he still doesn't really sound like Sora here. So I don't I don't know if he also put on more of a voice when he was recording this, or if it was that just more of true. his normal voice. Pretty much now, we all know him for his more, his quote-unquote deeper voice. Yeah, he would have been, a, as I'm double-checking, he would have been a teenager, teenager at the time, so in the... In the, in the smack dab diddly dab of uh, my voice is going to be changing. <laughs> yes. Uh, all this to say, this is definitely my favorite rendition of his voice. I just think he has more character um, in Kingdom Hearts 1. As opposed to when he has to kind of put on like an affect later of like being the peppy anime protagonist. This one's the most distinct to me. So that I would, in terms of distinctness, I would say, yeah. It's because, now I think about it. I was, I was going to say, I don't think it's my favorite, but you said distinct, not favorite. This one definitely, like, when I think of Sora's voice, right. sticks out in my mind. Like, it's like, like this one's like a flip of the coin. But Because I, in my head, Sora V1 is young, Sora version 2 is a little bit older, and then V3 kind of tries to go in between yep. 1 and 2. So I think 1 is, I, I would agree, it's definitely the most distinct. Meanwhile, Kyrie is Hayden Pinatier who, at this point, I think her most notable role would be the little girl and Rem- Remember the Titans, the uh, the staple of any middle school gem class rainy day viewing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. She was in that, but after the fact, she was the cheerleader in Heroes. I, I think that's kind of her biggest role. I was um, going to say, when do, do, we know when, do you know when Heroes aired? Heroes aired in 2006. Okay, so it was... In- de- Eighth grade when I watched it. It was after. Okay. Well, yes. I knew about it, but we never. I never watched it. Okay. It's actually really good for the first season, and then it shits the bed real fast. Which is sad. But I've it's always sadness. flirted with going back and rewatching it, but I don't. I don't yes, know. I've heard a lot of. That's. I think that's a perfect view. Uh, what you just said. It's pretty mixed. Yeah. David Gallagher is Riku. 
who is the Seventh Heaven kid. Yes. He also played <laughs> Richie Rich in like the straight DVD movies, uh, specifically Richie Rich's Christmas Wish, which if you haven't seen is a is a classic. Yeah, I can't think of anything else major he was in. I mean, honestly, now he's just Riku to me because he's not really in things anymore. Exactly. Oh, uh, as I'm looking into his history, he was in a movie called Angels in the End Zone, which was a sequel to the hit movie Angels in the Outfield, and I oh, didn't know wow. Angels in the Outfield had a sequel. Uh, I, I'm I sorry, did not know that I'm either. I'm sorry, you all have to know this now. <laughs> uh, I feel like we're propagating ourselves now. But that, pro- I imagine, so it must have been a Disney movie, right? Because Angels in the, the Outfield. Yes. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he was already in that that ecosystem, if you will. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, we got our main trio, and this cutscene pretty much sets up the driving motivation for them. Uh, we need a raft, basically, because we want to travel to other worlds. Other so, worlds, other worlds. Right off the bat, it's interesting to me because it establishes this notion of, quote-unquote, other worlds, right? Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder, how do these, these little island kids, like, why would this idea occur to them that if they build a raft and sail on the ocean, at some point, they'll stumble upon something else? The, the Emperor's new groove. <laughs> yeah, if replaying this and trying to kind of keep everything into consideration. They were like, we want to go to other worlds. It, it seems very much of vagueness. Like, there is no, we're going to go to X world. We, how we think there is. We think that, we think there's intelligent life out there. And we want to go find it. <laughs> yeah, the only reason I, it kind of stuck out to me is just because, well, in the first game, they pretty much loosen it up after this. But there's yeah. this whole idea of the world forwarder slash world order where you know, the worlds are secret from each other. If they're supposed to be secret, why is this a common idea for the Destiny Islands kids? And I, I guess you could say it's because Kyrie's from another world, and we know that. It's true. But, we learn that later on in this game, yeah? Well, not even later in the game. They just outright say Oh, yeah, the, the scene on the dock, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's not even they, then. I don't... <laughs> it's, it's in this first cutscene. Oh, of is says, it? Say, Kyrie, what was your hometown like? Oh, okay, you know, okay. Where you grew up. Um... Maybe he doesn't explicitly say it's... Well, no, he does, because, yeah, yeah. Then says, I'd like to see it, too, along with any other worlds out there. I want to okay. see them all. Okay, so then, yeah, they, they know that Kyrie's from another world, but, but why would they know that? I've always imagined it as she basically washed up on shore, like, like trash. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> she just covered in seaweed and, like, an old tire. <laughs> but oh my goodness. like it's not news to them when you know they do go to other worlds basically mm-hmm. so let's move on from the world discussion so yeah Riku shows up with his big log energy <laughs> <laughs> I had the same thought he uh he taunts Sora he kind of makes like a little pass at Kyrie. We'll, we'll talk about that later but um yep they they do a little race they're having fun they're basking in their innocence and then we get a title card 
that's one thing I always liked about the Kingdom Hearts games. Is they kind of wait to show the title card. So I kind of like um, where they place the actual title card in each game. Um, but yeah, this one we get it pretty early. It's right at the end of the first Destiny cutscene. So I thought this would be a good time to talk about the name Kingdom Hearts and where it came from. So okay. I hope you I hope you have answers to this because I do not. Oh, open well you're gonna learn today. All right. So anyway. All right. in my extensive Wikipedia research slash <laughs> um, checking the Kingdom Hearts Ultimania interviews, which is gonna be the main source of information whenever we talk about these sort of behind the scenes stuff. Nomura goes on to say to explain that uh, basically, and I'm sure most people can figure this out, but the word kingdom comes from the various Disney parks. So Animal Kingdom, Magic Kingdom, what have you. And they kind of wanted that to just be the name, literally Kingdom. But mm-hmm. one, that's not an interesting name. Doesn't sound good. And two, they couldn't get the IP for it, because I imagine you know, Disney already had that trademark. So they needed to put a little spin on it. So they, they brainstormed as a group um, for, you know, what other word could we slap in there? At one point, they they toyed with the idea of Kingdom Champion, which they then shortened to um, <clears throat> Keen Chan, K I N C H A N. Uh huh. So that would have that would have been different. I I would not be surprised to see that word pop up in a future game somehow, whether it's the name of a character or like an enemy or a world or something. Obviously, that's not a bad. So then. They knew that one of the major themes of the game was heart, so then Nomura thought a kingdom heart, singular, but that didn't sound good. And then someone was like, wait a minute, I'm going to try science. And they, they went to the whiteboard, and they added an S at the end. And it was kingdom hearts, and they liked it, and the rest is history. Kingdom heart. heart. Yeah, yeah, I, I have to agree that the plural makes it just a little bit better. Or maybe it's the fact that we've just been indoctrinated at this point. Yeah, that's true. You can't really hear it any other way. Another sort of meaning, meaning to kingdom. Um, I have a Nomura quote here. Oh, also, I want the meaning to be deep to an extent, something not to be taken lightly. Then, mm-hmm. since this was a newly created team, this is not a sequel, but a project that was built up from a vacant land. So there's an image of us creating our own country. So it's kind of like, kind of like a rallying call. Like this is our kingdom. Ah, uh, yeah. So it's it's interesting to me how it was kind of conceived as more of a metaphorical thing than a literal Kingdom Hearts. It's Kingdom Hearts. It's catchy. Um, so yeah, that gets the people going. Yeah. While we're on the subject, I just thought it'd be fun to talk about as a as a series how it came. It is an interesting story. I'm sure many people would have never thought that Disney and Kingdom Hearts, or Disney and Final Fantasy would be a thing, so how does that become a thing? Well, let me tell you. So, the story goes, there's that infamous meeting in an elevator between, um, oh, let me make sure I'm getting the name right. (laughs) Literally an elevator pitch. (laughs) So, it was between Shinji Hashimoto and some Disney exec were in an elevator together. And basically, they, the Square team, they already kind of had this idea of some sort of Disney. Let me rewind it even more. So, Shinji Hashimoto, who is a producer on Final Fantasy, at that point, his most notable games would have been Final Fantasy VIII and IX. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. 
he, along with Hirodobo Sakaguchi, which I'll let you speak to him because you probably have more of a more of a dog in this race. <laughs> Sakaguchi is the the big daddy of, of Final Fantasy. Yeah, he's the creator, and I was like, oh. Okay. Exactly. I had, by the time Kingdom Hearts would have been around, or yeah, you were saying around 8, 9, go probably 10 was in development at this point. He had definitely... 10 came out in 2001, I think, or 2000. So it was already out by the time Kingdom Hearts did. But yeah, they probably shared some development time. Yeah, I think after maybe... Six. I'm looking. I'm looking this up right now because I I, I refuse to be wrong. And what I mean, I'll be wrong, and then yeah. I really like how you're live fact checking. I feel like you're my my guy in the chair. Uh, yes. So five, which is a personal favorite of mine, Ooh. was the last uh, one that Sakaguchi developed developed himself. Yes. And after that, is when he took on an executive producer and producer roles going right. forward. Essentially, okay. So yeah, but this time he had. I guess much less of an investment, right? In the in the stake of Final Fantasy, but obviously the man still loves Final Fantasy, and obviously is still he helped. I know he helped do the original story of Seven. I think he may not be credited as a writer, but he's definitely a producer and focused directly on what's the story, what are we doing, so on and so forth. So yeah, obviously he would have a lot of pull with this whole project. So the the source size rating. Explains that Sakaguchi and Hashimoto were basically, this is kind of around the time, like we mentioned last episode, 3D platformers were, or 3D gaming in general, was still pretty young at this point. So they were having a conversation about Mario 64 and how great it is. And they wanted to do a similar game of kind of like a Mm -hmm. 3D platformer. But they, they bemoaned the fact that for some reason they had this idea in their head that no... No character could be popular enough to lead such a game that wasn't Mario besides Disney, which is kind of like a, a slap in the face to all the other 3D platformers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, There's... Banjo was out, Conker, mm-hmm. Rayman, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro. Like, this was like the heyday <laughs> of 3D platformers. But, yeah. I, but I, I, can, I, can, I can see where they're coming from, definitely, with the statement. Yeah, like, I guess if they specifically wanted to rival Mario 64, maybe they had this idea, like, well, we need a Disney character. Because, you know, Mario is basically the Mickey Mouse of video games. I mean, um, I mean, yeah, that that's that's true. I And we, we love Banjo, we love Spyro, we love all of them. And we're now in a day and age where you can look at those, and most people are like, oh, I know who that character is. But I imagine but back, back then, then yeah. it was, I would say, maybe not exactly 50-50, but definitely more of a flip of the coin of, like, Oh, I, lo- I know this character. I love this character. Oh, I know that character. Oh, who right. that? Like, that's sort of your, I feel like your, your few categories. Yeah, they kind of already had this idea in the head of partnering with Disney. And then from there, that's when the elevator pitch happened. And Disney was on board. That's pretty much all they had at that point was, we're going to make a, da- a game with Disney. And I like I just like imagining the scene where they're talking about it and they're like, all right, well, we have this Disney game. What are we going to do with it? And I, I imagine Nomura slowly peeking above his cubicle wall and he's like, Disney, you say? <laughs> I imagine I could help with that. Uh, <laughs> so basically, he threw his hat in the ring to volunteer to pretty much head the whole project, which is kind of crazy because really, at that point, 
he was most notable for being character designer of Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. And then he just made him a director, which is wild. Like, Kingdom Hearts was his first directorial game. So, yeah, he volunteered to kind of head it up the project. And for a while, it was it was literally just him. Like, he was planning everything and, you know, designing characters and the kind of the idea. Oh, wow. So, the man was dedicated. So, originally, the idea was much simpler. It was pretty much just a Disney game. In fact, Disney even wanted Mickey Mouse to be the main character. I do um, remember this, yeah. Whereas Square wanted Donald Duck to be the main character for some reason. Interesting. Interesting to buy. I think, like... I've heard this, but I haven't like thought of it for more than uh, like a few moments. Right, mm. but uh, Nomura was like, mm, "No thanks, I don't want either." Uh, so he wanted his own original oh, we're character. We're gonna make our own character. Thank you very much. Yep, exactly. So he was working on his own characters and he sketched the original Sora, and yeah, he was basically a line boy. So I would encourage anyone listening to Google this. So in his original design. He still stood on two legs, but he had a lion's head, basically, and he mm-hmm. had, like, a really baggy jacket. He's, like, wearing a crown, and his original weapon was a chainsaw blade. Yep. <laughs> Which is amazing. <laughs> but Disney did not like that. So Sora, his weapon was then changed to the, the now iconic Keyblade, which is kind of crazy to think that you know, that was born out of the original design being rejected. So it's kind of like almost an accident. It's really like so much of the plot is based on this idea of Keyblades. Actually, it, it's not too crazy when I'll explain next. So yeah, his design changed. Um, and then he had a tail because he was a lion boy. But that was, too similar, boy. <laughs> that was too similar to um, Zidane of Final Fantasy IX fame. So yep. he got his tail, he chopped off. And then he became a real boy. Yeah, I'm looking at the the three designs next to each other. You can you can literally see the transition of you know initial wild rejected to the middleman to Sora that we have now because in his little in his little I guess I'll refer to as the a phase two of of his design. You see a lot of besides the keyblade itself, a lot of iconic OG Sora things: his gloves, uh, his big old clown shoes, his uh, yep. his weird hoodie jacket shirt combination that even today i still i like i have to stare at it to understand it oh the hoodie jacket yeah now it's Mm. is it one layer is it two so yeah those it's funny you mentioned those the shoes and whatnot so those were all basically ways to appease disney like okay you want mickey mouse as a character we're not gonna do that but we'll give you little nods to him and your next best thing just some big old shoes yeah we'll give you some Big yellow shoes, some red shorts, and some gloves. So he's basically yeah, Mickey Mouse. He, he, yeah, yeah, he does have the. He does have the. I mean, I knew this, but it didn't pop to my head just now. That Sora does have the Mickey Mouse color scheme of yep. red, white, yellow, red. Oh, sorry, black, white, yellow, red. So that's how Sora came to be. The story was also being developed at that time, and originally it was much simpler. So, like I said, it was just a Disney game at first, and the story was basically teaming up with the Disney princes, to save their corresponding princesses, Sakaguchi stepped in and explained, like, no, if you want this to be a success, like, the story needs to be as good as Final Fantasy. Daddy Sakaguchi coming to save the day. Yeah, really. Could you imagine? <laughs> Nomura was basically given the keys to the kingdom at, at that point, and then he just went 
he just went full hog and went crazy and came up with his own. Well, at that point, not nearly as crazy as things were to become. Pretty mild. I say pretty mild compared to where we are now. But <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, he put a much bigger emphasis on the story and the original characters and everything. Yeah, that's kind of where this whole idea of Disney but not Disney comes in with like the darker tone, the more mm-hmm. serious nature of it, which okay. yeah, it's kind of genius as far as I'm concerned. Because if it was just, here we are going to all the Disney movies, like, I don't think it would have been nearly as powerful or even exactly. yeah. have become like a whole series. Yeah. So yeah, that's a little behind the scenes of the series. We'll, we'll probably get into more little tidbits of this of kind of the you know the interviews and you know Namura's thoughts on things as we go along, but that's uh, that's the uh, the short version of how it came to be. If you don't know, now you know. Now you know. Speaking of Sora's design, so what do you think of his Kingdom Hearts One outfit as it came to be? With you know, how do I feel? How does how does original Sora make me feel? I think I can't look at his design without thinking of every other design we have. Yep. I so I, I even in my head like I couldn't I I mean I can't compare them obviously I don't hate any of Sora's designs I can say that much one yes I feel like one is iconic two I mean I'm not gonna go to the other games I'm not gonna start this is not a top ten list of <laughs> your favorite Sora <laughs> outfits unfortunately uh come back next week maybe we do it then but I would say so yeah again I mentioned earlier I had to stare at Sora's cage one costume to understand it and that's just me being like horribly detail oriented and staring at like where where did the, where did the pants end? Oh, I did the exact same thing. Cause it made okay. no sense. So he is wearing like a tracks like a tracksuit. Basically, he basically right? originated the bromper. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> All right, now, that, because you've now said that, I have to hate this design. Uh, but it, it's definitely it's it's definitely weird. It, it, it's like it's iconic at this point. Yes, definitely iconic. It's it's definitely a nice color scheme. But yeah, when you look at the functionality of it, it does raise questions. Like, wait, so, like, literally, if you look at... Let me pull up a picture, actually, just so I <laughs> make sure that I'm... You know, you know that Sora still has a ways to go, because his, his outfit only has one belt. Yeah, if you look at his his little onesie, just imagining him, like, climbing into that thing, like, the zipper... <laughs> He Where has to like pull the zipper like over. Uh, we are raising questions nobody wanted answers to. <laughs> it basically goes like all the way to the back, as far as I'm concerned. Like, wait, no, maybe it ends in the the crotchal region. I think it ends in the crotch region, which is a word, which is now a statement we have had to say. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> oh wow, this is amazing. If, if you just look up Sora King Hearts 1, one of the Google image results is him without his vest, and it's just him in the onesie. Ah! <laughs> so uh, when I when I Google searched it, uh, I, I didn't look on the actual like webpage, but the webpage is a Reddit post that says, what is Sora wearing in Kingdom Hearts 1? A onesie <laughs> with a jacket, and then, a, you know, the title gets cut off, but... Uh, you know we're not, not we're not the only ones we're not the only ones questioning. Okay, I see the I see the one without the jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, he does have the vest, so it's it's a nice nice way to break it up with the blues on the belt and kind of the lining of his hoodie. So it's it's good. 
It has what I like to call the Pikachu effect. The Pikachu effect? What's the Pikachu effect? Basically, it's become so overexposed, because for some reason, they keep going back to this outfit specifically, all the side games, and they keep reverting him to this young form. You know, it's mm. it's in Chain of Memories, it's encoded, it's in Melody of Memory, I'm sure yep. it's in, it's in, like, 358 Days, I, I think he's playable in that, in, like, the missions mode. Like, it's definitely the most... Yeah. It's what we've mo- seen the most, definitely. Yes, so by that factor, I'm kind of tired of it. <laughs> Much like Pikachu, how he shoved in everyone's faces constantly. Got so you, got you. Even got though you. he Pikachu's an objectively good design, it's used so much that it makes me want to rebel against it. So <laughs> rebel I, against the creator. Yeah, I kind of resent this outfit. I I enjoy it in the context of Kingdom Hearts One, but when it shows up in other places, I'm like, ah, oh, this again. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Especially if it's not your favorite at this point, and you know, it's I mean, it's the equivalent of like Pikachu is the Pokemon mascot. If you don't like Pikachu, but you like Pokemon. You, you know, you can. You, I mean, you have to suck it up because you you know you know that someone's gonna shove Pikachu in your face at some point. Yep, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I am fine if we never revisit Cage One Sora outfit ever again. Now that that's out of the way, we can finally start playing the game. Exactly. Let's <laughs> let's actually talk about the deaths of the island. Yeah. So you get the island as your playground, and yeah, like you mentioned last episode, you can. I don't just mess around in Destiny Island, so what do you what do you usually do first? So you're given the mission of collect all the the raft supplies, but there's mm-hmm. lots of other things you can get into. Yeah. Well I find the raft supplies and then I go beat up the kids. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanna I wanna find the ra- like if I wanna find the raft supplies, I need to do them not do them right away, but I can't in my in the way my brain works, I can't find like two supplies and be like oh i want to kick waka's butt because then i'll kind of not remember oh what, what, I, what have i already picked up so either it's either kick butt first and then do supplies or like you know i have to like separate them yeah i'm i'm pretty much the same i usually get the supplies first and then ask for titus's lunch money yep <laughs> yeah so i thought the i was thinking about the choice of the kids besides sora riku Kairi. Yes. The fact that they pull, they pull Titus or Titus. Titus is actually know. the way you say it. So Titus is the correct pronunciation. I hate saying Titus. I will oh, always say uh, Titus. I'm sorry. I don't like that either. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, Titus Waka, who are from Ten, you know, the most recent game, and then yep. Selfie from Eight was an interesting choice. Yeah. So I don't really know anything about Selfie, but I do know, and yeah, I'm glad you're mentioning this because it is interesting to think about why they chose these characters specifically. But Titus and Waka makes sense because they're, you know, from a beachy game. So exactly. it makes sense that they would exactly. be on, Ta- you know, this island. Yeah, this is Ty- Titus in, in 10 is a, is a Blitzball player, and Blitzball is a game that takes place entirely underwater. Waka yep. literally comes from an island. Uh, Selfie, so I've, I've played I played all the original PlayStation Final Fantasies, and, and, and prior, obviously. But I haven't re- I even bought 8 on Steam when it the, the remastered version came out. I need to. I, it is on my list of games to play because I played eight probably the year year after it came out, but I haven't revisited it in that was what nineteen ninety eight. So I would have played it around ninety eight ninety nine. So it's been about two decades. 
So my, huh. my only memories of Selfie are, Selfie is, like, she's the very cheerful, kind of perky girl character. Um, I mean, she uses nunchucks just like she does in the game, but those are kind of her defining traits that I can only remember, really. Like, the character never left a big impact on me, but that's also very much 8 didn't leave a big impact on me, personally. Not saying it's bad, but it's definitely a game I need to revisit as an adult to see, does my childhood opinion hold up? Or am I just a... I mean, all, all kids are idiots, let's be real. I've heard 8 is one of the rougher ones to go back to. It's definitely low on my list of final fantasies to try. I would say that too, yeah. I really want to revisit it because it has been so long. So, is Selfie also... Because I, I know very little about FF8, but I do know it's kind of like takes place in the school setting. So yes. is Selfie also a schoolgirl there? Yes. Most of the characters... Uh... Squall, Renoa, Selfie, they have a teacher, uh, Sets, not Setzer, Cypher, who we'll get into next game, or not next game, I mean, actually, not next game, but in the future, <laughs> um, they are all students at the Seed Academy, yep. Maybe they wanted, you know, another female character to, to gal around with Kyrie, and they figured she'd be the most appropriate, because I know one of the interviews, actually, with Nomura asks about Squall and Renoa, because I know that's kind of the key relationship in eight. Mm -hmm. And Renoa, is it Renoa or Renola or Rizzoli Isles? <laughs> Rizzoli Isles. It's a, it's Renoa. Yep. Okay, because so she doesn't show up in Kingdom Hearts, and I'm sure many people question why that is. You know, he was very deliberate about which characters he chose. I'm sure each character has kind of their own baggage with them and kind of their own trademark vibe. So maybe, you know, someone like Renoa, maybe they're too serious, whereas Selfie, I, I imagine she'd be kind of like, just like a little side character, very much Yuffie adjacent, where, you know, she can't be fun and perky, so. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, recognizable, because once you go past FF7, I don't think there are many characters that stand out, aside from the villains, really. Like, in terms of party members, I don't, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I can think of some, but around that era is probably the best to pull from. Like, especially when we're... I mean, we've, we've just talked about Sora going through designs. Who's going to be the main character? At this point, you just kind of want a familiarity. Like, uh, oh, well, we can pull this character from Final Fantasy 1 that nobody ever right. remembers. But, but, but because we love Final Fantasy 1, is that going to be the best solution? Was Nomura also the character designer on 8? I want to say, yeah. He's, he's, I know he started off debugging 4. He did monster designs for 5. I mean, Squall does have, like, three belts, right? So that's, yeah. that's kind of a giveaway. <laughs> yeah, let me, um, actually, while, while I say that, I want to look at Squall's original design, because I made the belt, joke, the belt joke earlier, and for those who may not be in the know, but you, you're you really in the know, you know that uh, in, in know. Kingdom Hearts, <laughs> in Kingdom Hearts, Squall, Leon, whatever name you prefer, uh, boy got belts for days. <laughs> He's got, okay, that's what I thought. In his original design, he has two or three belts, like, sort of around, like, the pelvic area. I don't think any of them are actually on his... Yeah, he's got two or three belts that kind of, like, like almost like mummy wrappings, like, around, like, his waist. But yeah. none are actually, like, you know, through the belt loop of the pant. Yeah, I mean, Sora's got the same thing going on with his. True, he's got a belt that's not even... I think it's, like, barely... Yeah, it's, together. it's literally just a fashion statement. <laughs> So yeah, I'm sure Mura wanted to stick with characters he designed specifically, so that kind of narrows it down. Because yeah, I uh, another thing I think I read was, as the series goes on, 
originally he didn't want to use characters that he didn't know, like he didn't yeah. design because he wasn't as familiar with them, but eventually he branched out and started using other characters from the series. So yeah, maybe maybe that's kinda how they ended up with these three, but Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, and he did do he did do monster and character designs for eight, can't confirm. Okay. Nice. So yeah, we have the the Final Fantasy kids. And the one thing I really appreciate them is that they actually have voice actors. Because yes. modern Kingdom Hearts has fallen to this trap of characters just standing around, not saying anything, and being really awkward. Probably because they don't want to hire voice actors for like two or three lines of dialogue. But yeah, we have that here because yeah, these characters don't really say much of anything. But uh, when we talk to them now, when we talk to them on day two, they have sort of an opening cutscene dialogue. Yeah, um, it's probably like they... a minute's worth of reporting. Exactly, yeah. I appreciate that extra production value. Let's talk about the fighting fights. So <laughs> you, can, you can beat them up for days. Yes. Um, so, what, I, I'll, I'll just start, I'll kick this off. Which one do you think is the most annoying of the three Final Fantasy kids to fight? It's definitely something. Alright, mine's is, my two annoying and difficult do go to Titus. So Waka is not that much no. of a in, in, okay. in the three-on-one fight, Waka, Waka is a sleeper killer, but on one-on-one, Waka's actually my favorite to face, just because I like... Uh, one thing they did away with the other... I mean, we've talked about tech points, but I love Kingdom Hearts 1's tech points. Just hitting Waka's ball back at him to get tech points was uh, just like a fun thing for me. So I, re- I just really enjoy that part. And Waka isn't really... Again, but by himself, is not a threat. <laughs> but in the three-on-one... When you're dealing with self, who's kind of mid-range, mid to close, Taz is close. And Waka's not on screen, and you just see a Blitzball come and deck you in the face from time to time. Yes. Yeah. So what's cool about these fights to me is they all have different approaches to them, which kind of is a through line throughout the whole game, where each enemy character or enemy encounter kind of makes you face them differently. So, yeah, like you said, Waka... It's all about bouncing that ball back, which I agree is very satisfying. And it's a nice yes. way to get some extra tech points. Especially when, you know, he goes for his his big his big throw or it's kind of a risk reward. Yeah. Where you're like, oh I'm too scared, never mind, I don't wanna I don't wanna exactly, yeah. try to reflect that. Whereas selfie is yeah, kinda of mid range. You gotta keep your distance from her for sure, but then you can close it when she's vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And then Titus is just a straight one-on-one melee, very much sword fight. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, it's it's really cool how the game's already teaching you. Like, you, there's no like one size fits all approach, mm-hmm. unless it's magic. <laughs> so I've been watching this, um, this YouTuber, regular Pat. I, I think I've shared a few of his videos with you. He's he's really good. Uh, uh, yeah. Kingdom Hearts YouTuber, definitely check him out. If you're enjoying what you're hearing now, that's regular Pat. One of his videos, one of his earlier videos, was a level one uh, walkthrough. So I watched that, and he has like really great tips on well every fight in the game, but you know for Destiny Island specifically, he kind of points out you know the AI of all the different characters. So after I watched that, I realized Titus is actually really easy. Literally, all you have to do is sidestep him, and then he can't really do anything to you. So. Basically whack him, and then when he deflects you, just move to the right. And then he'll do his little flippy counter attack, sort of. 
Yeah. And then after that, you can just close in and. Yep, you just gotta keep moving like an air. Exactly, and I think self. I guess self is kind of the opposite. She has wide range attacks. So you want to stay outside of her range. So yeah, I really do appreciate the fact that all three of them are vastly different. They do kind of have different. How you fight them is very different spatially between all of them. Which brings us to when you fight them three on one, which you know, Let's ling- get lingering will eat your heart out. This is the hardest fight. <laughs> it's definitely the most chaotic by far, I think. Yeah, like it's I mean, just a you just a pan. I feel like you're a panicked mess, and that that's a tribute to the, the actual fight itself. But and and also that it is very early on in the game. I yes, believe. like you're so so. Yeah, you kind of don't really know what to do. You just gotta scramble. Mm-hmm. I finally overcame them this time. Maybe I took selfie out first. Yeah, selfie out first. She she's like the most aggressive. Uh, definitely. She can close, I think, very easily. She yeah. has her, her, her big, uh, the big whip move, where she'll just run at you and just yeah. start swinging the nunchuck. So you have to be very careful. Yeah, it was definitely selfie first, because yeah, she'll just come at you, and snipe you. But the other two, you can kind of trick them into not really doing anything. So Titus, if you keep evading him, eventually he'll like start pouting and not really do anything. And that's kind of your window to go after selfie, and then. Waka just keep keep hitting his balls back at him and stunning him, and then you're good there. So yeah, took out selfie first, and then from there, okay, probably Waka did Titus. Yeah, I leave Waka for last. I can tell you that much. I definitely focus on Titus and selfie kind of simultaneously. Um, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you have to stare Waka in the face, lock onto him, smack a ball at him, turn around, yeah. and deal with the other two. But every so it's mainly, especially going back this time. Pull off one or two combos, and then pull away from them, because that's yep. usually the time where Waka is going to eat a ball in your direction, so be very careful. But I do remember struggling, struggling with this growing up. For some reason, Titus gets two experience points, and the other two are just one. So I guess the game thinks he's the hardest, for some reason. I, I, I would... I think it depends on the player, really, but... yeah. I can see it. He's definitely I mean, the leader of the three. I, yeah, I was going to say, is it just the main character bias? Like, you kind of have to throw him that extra <laughs> experience point for his ego. Maybe. <laughs> I'm about to say, well, speaking of experience, how much experience does beating up Riku get you? I think Riku is five, if I remember correctly. That sounds correctly. about right. So yeah, why don't we just move on to Riku? So, throughout this sort of open section, I think the game does a really good job of gamifying the rivalry between the two, because... There's really not a lot of real estate in cutscenes to kind of build up, you know, their relationship. Yep. So I think they do a good job with what they have, or motivating you to kind of interact with Riku through these extra challenges. So, like, is there anything more heartbreaking than seeing, now the score is zero to one? <laughs> like, yeah. Are you not going to just keep trying to beat him until you're on top and then two hours have passed and you're like, okay, I should just accept defeat? So on the first day, you can fight him, and this is definitely one of those fights when you're a kid where he seems really hard, so he's kind of got this air of, oh no, not Riku, and even even, um, the kids kind of warn you, like, huh, you don't stand a chance against Riku, and you're like, oh, exactly. He's the one (laughs) character besides Titus who I think can deflect your attacks. Yes, but um, yeah, back to that video I watched by Regular Pat. 
Yep. He explains that Riku's AI is actually extremely breakable. Yeah. Where, like Clockwork, every fourth hit, he'll go for a counterattack. Yeah, he'll do his... Like, literally the kill move of he yes. falls back on himself, but then, he, but then he'll spring back up at you. Yes, is, and then you freak out. Exactly. You know, it's it's do a, it's do a combo, hit it once, yep. get out of the way, do a combo. Like, once you know that, it's so easy, and it's a good way to to grind if you're still inclined. Definitely. The and only thing I you gotta watch out for is sidestepping and, like, falling off the island. Because that's, exactly. that's a ring it out, and you hasn't lose. hasn't happened to me, it didn't happen to me this time, but I remember as a kid that was, besides Riku just kicking my butt entirely, I just, oh, like, absolutely. I'm gonna move over, and now there's no ground. But yeah, but just like through fighting the three kids who get a potion. So, if you yeah. grind, I think, I feel like this is, they both give, I know Riku's definitely an easier fight once you understand the fight. Because yes. even the kids, the kids give you four, because yeah, Titus is two, Waka Selfie are one, so it's still just four EXP, as opposed to Riku's five. For a fight, you're probably going to memorize pretty quickly as an adult, definitely. Yeah. After that, you can waltz about the island as you please, gather up your supplies, you can you can actually use your words and talk to the Final Fantasy characters. They they have some fun dialogue. Like uh, Waka has a cute little Blitzball reference, or maybe it's Titus. Blitzball. One of the mentions it's, like it's... we invented this game where you play underwater and throw a ball, <laughs> uh, which makes you wonder. Well, how did you how did you figure that out? That's don't that's worry not really about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to imagine. Like, what is the social dynamic? between these kids you know are they like two cliques where like they don't really hang out with each other much i don't know i feel like the final fantasy kids don't really like sora mm. or at least they like riku way better i can definitely see that i don't, I don't there's I, there, I don't think there's a really like we don't like sora but i can definitely see like they like there's like a respect when it comes to riku like they say like oh you'll never be riku riku's too strong what are you doing nerd <laughs> Uh, so there's, there's there's like a respect and a fear of Riku, definitely. Yeah. Riku, and Riku is the cool character, so <laughs> I can kind well, of see that happening. Waka absolutely stands him. Like, my god, every other word out of his mouth is how awesome Riku is, basically. <laughs> like, oh, you're you're going out on a raft? Well, good thing Riku's there. Take care of you. <laughs> so, to, <laughs> me, to, I mean, to be fair in their dynamic, Riku is the calm, collected... Like yeah. he, I mean, he's like he's he's the total pocket from Riku. Hello there. I'm I'm just saying I, I wouldn't be surprised if Waku's or Waka's trying to share a palco with Riku. <laughs> Selfie's definitely dropping hints that uh yeah she she wants Sora to pick her a palco. He's <laughs> he's not really catching on. When you were a kid, did you realize that this wasn't their? They're like home island. This was just a little play area for them. No, I don't think until two we kind of recognized. I didn't realize that this is just like their play area. This isn't yep. like where they live. Exactly. Yeah, like you, you, you see him hop out of a boat, but it never occurred to me. Well, he had to come from somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, this is basically uh, Lord of the Flies scenario. <laughs> uh, because I we talked about this recently. Uh, I was watching Ed and Eddie. Kind of gives me the same vibes, like the cul-de-sac kids. Oh yeah, totally, absolutely. But yeah, it, it, it makes you wonder. Well, what? Why are they trying to leave this? This is awesome. They get to go on this island and just hang out and do whatever they want, basically. 
but we gotta go fight other worlds because the plot says so. <laughs> Destiny Islands is definitely, as far as first levels go, it's it's always like you know been a nice area to me because it's kind of it sparks your imagination of like going on a new journey and setting sail. I mean, yeah, this was kind of the generation of beaches for some reason, but it, it reminds <laughs> me of um you know Outset Island from Wind Waker where yeah. The world's your oyster. You can go as far as you see on the horizon. It definitely felt a lot smaller this playthrough, but I think it's great tutorial area for like the first legit tutorial area. I think it's a, I think it's a good size. It's not too big, not too small. You have one area you're spending most of your time in, and there's and 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 there's layers like an onion uh, <laughs> to, to to area one and area two. You spend more time exploring area two. I feel like it so. There's, it, it's kind of pretty balanced, I think. Really, it's just the two rooms, like either side of the island. Mm-hmm. But it always felt way bigger when I was a kid. Definitely. I think that's one thing in general Kingdom Hearts is good at, the first one anyway, is objectively, when you, if you like lay out all the worlds as a map, you know, they're pretty small, but they use the space and smart ways to make them seem much bigger. You know, the island, it's got some verticality to it. You could climb and explore, like, go to the treehouse. There's Riku's Island. There's, you know, there's the smaller rooms, like the shack, and then the cave. So it makes it feel bigger, because I think part of it is there's a lot of variety in the, the settings. So there's the beach, there's, like, the wooden plank area with Titus. Yeah. There's the waterfall. Like, each each little nook kind of feels different so in your head you feel like you're seeing a lot of things like, exactly oh gosh, yeah there's I'm so much to, to explore i'm trying to compare this to other areas and I'm, you know we're, we're in cage one i'm trying to think of cage one uh, i think a good example of a place that doesn't work out so well is deep jungle everything is green brush oh i'm here i'm here yeah. in this area there's more green brush oh boy like yep. it's you obviously like i don't know where the hell i am it just looks it, it looks it's so samey um, yeah exactly that, but the islands has a good imagination of there's that that giant wooden structure that Titus is on most of the time. Like, where did that come from? Who put it there? Why God Almighty is that happening? Yeah. It, it, it almost looks like a giant bow of a ship if you, like, look up at it. Yeah, totally. Like, did the parents do that just to give the kids a playground? Mm, it is makes you there? wonder. It makes you wonder. Yeah, like if you look at this as like an actual place, it was very involved as a construction project. Mm-hmm. Definitely not not something kids pulled off. So let's let's fast forward a bit. You gather the supplies. You uh you get the next cutscene with the group. Your like little breakfast club moment where they're leaning on the tree and talking about life. Basically, Riku postures more. Kairi's like, yeah, I don't really care. Sora's like, I'm not even paying attention. And then Riku teases Sora with the Paupun. Um But if you pay attention, he never specifies who he wants to share a Paupu with. So, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with Riku here. Like, <laughs> obviously the game's trying to set up, oh, they're both vying for Kairi's attention. Okay. But, like, is Riku really interested in Kairi like that? Or is it just a way to antagonize Sora, basically. I, cu- I couldn't tell you, and this is definitely also... <sighs> I don't want to talk too much about it now, because it is something that we could go into later in the series, the relationship between the three of them, because as much as this game and other games are like, uh, you know, they lean on 
the Sora and Kairi relationship, the Sora and Riku relationship actually seems a lot more genuine and loving to me. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. It's not just bros being bros. It's bros <laughs> being like, I love you, but also just not saying <laughs> the words, I love you. Like, this Destiny Island section doesn't do anything to make you sympathize with Riku. Like, he's just no. a straight-up dick. He, yeah, he is. I'm trying to think of, like, uh, as I mentioned, Sora Riku's literal loving relationship. I'm thinking of moments in the islands. I'm like, does, does Riku even have, like, a, a like, a, a ch- cheery moment? And not, not really. There's, there's his intro. There's the prelude. Probably, race, which yeah, we talk the about, very first but... cutscene with them is when he's the most, like, lighthearted when he's joking about, I guess I'm the only one working on the raft. Guys. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't really have any good, or, you know, besides that, doesn't have any, like, very open and happy moments. He's kind of, I wouldn't say scowling the entire time, but he's very much has, like, a very, like, you know, I'm the cool kid exactly. mentality the entire time. I've never been the biggest Riku fan. We'll get into why as we talk about him more throughout the whole series. But definitely in the first game, like there's really not much there to motivate he, me to want to search yeah. for him. <laughs> he's definitely your Sasuke. Like Absolutely. I, I have such hard like OG Naruto vibes. Yeah. This goes through. Like the main character is the main character, kind of a knucklehead. The rival slash friend is always like, mm, I'm cool and I'm a little bit edgy. And then the girl is there. The girl. <laughs> no, that's definitely just a trope in general. Like that yeah. trio. Yeah, definitely a Sasuke light. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, that's... I mean, I definitely like Riku better than Sasuke. Yeah. Uh, yes, I would, I, would, I would definitely say that. <laughs> uh, um, and Riku, mind you, I guess this, Riku does start from the bottom, now we hear. I, yes. I can definitely say that much over the course of the series. Sora does have growth, but it, it, it feels to be pretty limited until much much later titles. yeah but that's that's a whole crumpet to get into <laughs> exactly <laughs> so that's that's pretty much the end of day one um and then we cut to disney castle so yeah there's there are disney characters in this game oh boy <laughs> yeah it's really funny seeing the disney castle because it's, it's just paints this picture of mickey having this insufferable ego <laughs> where his face is literally everywhere and like he has it's basically like a football stadium his throne room yeah like what does he need all that and then like what does he do he just sits there all day and then yeah that is uh i think that is one of my favorite standing gags of the, the throne room is a big door but realistically it's a, it's a smaller door yeah that's cute very very Disney-esque humor. Yeah, he does have uh, yeah, he does have a giant throne room and I mean so to, to quick flash to two, we don't know what happens between Timeless River and the present day, basically. But they were starting to build the castle around the cornerstone in yes. Timeless River. So my first thought was, Oh, is Mickey the first? And I'm like, Yeah, there he somehow he uh, he just can't wait to be king. Yeah, did he just declare himself king? <laughs> like okay, it, well, it, it make, we were gonna does, have a democracy, wonder, but yeah, it just makes me wonder. But I think it, I think it, at the end of the day, it is just like the Disney magic of everything, right? So yeah, uh, Donald is doing his morningly duties. Mickey's MIA. Donald freaks the f out. 
One thing I really like about this cutscene, and it's it shows up in a few Kingdom Hearts one cutscenes, but just the sound design. So like they use sound effects in a humorous way, which is really cute. So like when Donald's reading the letter, for example, his eyes are scrolling through it, but they're like just like this nice little accompaniment, accompanying woo whoop, woo whoop, blink blink, and then he and then he runs away. Yeah. And then it cuts to the shot of the garden. It's like a really zoomed out shot, but you see Donald waddling, running to Goofy, and like his little steps, like there's like the sound effect, like. Yeah. I also, as a kid, I hated the fact that you could not use Donald Goofy's original designs. Yes. The original design I, being there. They, they I had this as a note. Like, a, they're, I'll call them Disney Castle uniforms because I really do adore. Donald's court magician outfit and Goofy's uh, Captain of the Knights outfit as well. Yeah, they're pretty cute. It's weird to me how how they had two outfits in the first place. Technically three um, with the very final cutscene. But yeah, sure. like, they go through the effort of giving them a redesigned outfit when we... It's not like we knew them and their Disney Castle outfits. Like, they're exactly, not... Yeah. It's not like this was like an old look. So yeah, I totally hear you. Like it would have been cool if somehow you could just change them into those outfits because yeah, see them so infrequently. Yeah, but I guess in the, in the if we're, if we're gonna look to the scope of the actual yeah, like they, they talk about how Mickey's gone missing, or is it, well, on their and Mickey's end he's not missing, he's out and about. But on their end they're like, we have to get the king back. We gotta find the king, guys. <laughs> And they, they do mention, you know, Jim, they bring out Jiminy, so on and so forth. They, they do mention, like, you know, we're going to other worlds. It's just thinking of, like, the, the designs they do take on. They do mention, like, we have to, no one can find out we're from another world. We can't let people know that other worlds exist. So I guess that it does explain their, their outfits. But, but does it? Because how are their new outfits, like, how would their new outfits be any more subtle than their older outfits? I, I guess the way I think about it, like, I think I just mentioned, it's like, they're street clothes. Like, this is how I, you know, this is my uniform, but this is how, when I hit the streets, this is what I look like. I think if I, like, if I look at both designs, uh, like, side by side, the court magician and the knight do stick out a bit more than, ca- I, I'll call them, like, street, or casual Donald and casual Goofy, basically. It's my- it, just, it depends on the world, though, right? Like, some outfits, they definitely stick out more in, like, Goofy in, like, this pilot's outfit, dolled in, like, a little French beret. Yes, that's it. Not baguette. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, that's just something funny. Donald and Goofy really get shafted, because they never get an outfit change after this. It's true! Sword goes through several. Yep, but they just have to wear these 20-year-old clothes the whole time. So, Minnie and Daisy uh, crash their little powwow, and Donald's like, (laughs) need a moment? Cuts back to Destiny Islands, where we're on day two, and now we have the mission to gather the quote-unquote provisions, which are, let's see, a seagull egg, I think three fish, mm-hmm. some fresh water. Fresh water. Not from the, not from the ocean. Not from the ocean. And two coconuts, and that's supposed to last the three of them their entire trip. And three mushrooms, three mushrooms. Three mushrooms, yes. Oh, yes. how could I forget? <laughs> oh, so, like, because one of them is in the secret place. Yes. So when you think about it, like, they really lucked out that 
you know, the Heartless invaded and destroyed their island. Because if they had actually gone on this raft mission, like, they would have just died at sea. Yep. That's why, especially during this part. Um, more so, in, I it's part of day one, but thinking of day two of, like, these three kids, because, like, Sora and Kyra are 13, 14, Riku's, like, uh, 15, basically. Yep. These three kids are going to abandon their families. Well, I don't think Kyrie has a family. She's, like, basically adopted, I'm pretty sure. But these three kids are like, we're going to go off to see y'all later. And, you know, be dead within a week. That was just a very foolhardy plan. And that, that raft didn't look very stable in the first place. I mean, good thing it's good thing the shadows showed up. <laughs> so, yeah, you... Well, before you can collect the ingredients, you got to do a little racy race. Yeah, where you're you're competing to see who can name the raft. And do you do you even bother picking out a name, or do you just default to Excalibur? I here's the thing. I uh, I think the first when I played through 1.5 on PS3, I definitely just chose the same name as Rico. I just chose the High Wind because it's funny. Like if you if I win, it's called the High Wind. If you win, it's called the High Wind. Oh. And Highwind's just like a big Final Fantasy reference, so I actually do like it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I I try to. There's the rocket that Sid uh, has in Final Fantasy VII, but there's not enough characters to name it. So, but I did like scrunch in Shinra number twenty-seven this time around, just because it's a nice. you know, it's just naming the it's just naming the, the, the well, it's naming the raft that'll become the name of your default gummy ship model when you get yeah. a gummy ship. That's if what I would know, say. You know, you know. Exactly. So yeah, you race Riku, and this is definitely the more stressful of the two. Contests. Oh, a hundred percent. I was like, like I was physically clenched the entire time, despite doing this for how many times over the course of my lifespan. It's still such a tense moment. Now, now here's the here's the real thing. Do you take the zip line or do you run across the beach? Pick one because they're both equally terrifying. <laughs> I always go for the zip line. Okay. But yeah, it's so shoddy because you have to like line up perfectly to jump and actually grab it. Otherwise, yes. you'll just drop and then you basically lose at that point. That's so. that's as a kid, I always kept being like the zip line's quicker, the zip line's quicker and every time I would miss the handle and I'm like I guess I just die here. I guess I just die here. Yep. I should have never gone zip lining. Yeah. Uh, I, I I had a fun time noted, dude, messing with the AI this time. So there's the the third plank, or like the second the the, the second jump you do. There's the plank that falls off. I didn't realize how maybe they, I'm not sure if they changed it in the re, in remix, but or final mix. But Riku feels a lot quicker than I ever imagined. But mm. every every time he would kind of match you as you ran across the planks, and every time I would just step on the one that falls and jump and he would fall I mean fall to his death nice. in quotation marks but I'd be like haha nerd <laughs> um, but this time I tried this time I tried the zip line and it worked. But I mean either way Riku's on your heels the entire time. Like you can't you like you were maybe a lot of two mistakes, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it's that. Yeah. I think it would be fun if or I guess it'd be more interesting if like there were sometimes where Riku messed up but his AI is so almost perfect that he's just like I know which path I'm going to take uh, and there, there are certain checks along the way obviously like if you 
latch onto the ladder. The AI knows, okay, don't bother with the ladder. Go yeah. across the beach. Yeah, like it'll make a very specific beeline. Like even if, like even if it's ahead of you, like if you're close enough, it'll just be like, nah, never mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little. I, I'd always jump up the. This time, I always jump, jump up the ladder to get an advantage, and I'd see like the base of Riku's head on the bottom of my screen, and it would run. It would, it would coming up from the ocean, coming up the stairs, go to the ladder, and then I'll be like, you know, it detects that I have latched on, and it's like, nope, and then it immediately turns and goes right to run across the beach to get there. But yeah, the entire time Riku is on your ass the entire time. So <laughs> it's it, it oh, is Lord, so he coming. stressful, especially because I've uh, definitely growing up. I messed up, even though I was even if I was ahead and almost won the race. There were a few times where I would mess up the jumps, the final final jumps, and then he would just get ahead of me. Yeah, you mean like across really the trees? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are super. Uh, that that or uh, like literally at the finish line, like jumping across the planks. Oh just right, to, the planks just to fall. win. Yeah. So I remember fall more than once, definitely like falling to one of the the pitfalls and being like, I was so close. Yeah. Uh, uh, this one will win all the marbles. But exactly. it doesn't really matter. Because even if you do win, Riku like Riku just basically negs you the whole time. So <laughs> he's like, it was just a joke. Calm down. Like, why are you so toxic? <laughs> <laughs> Early two thousands rival character. Boy oh boy. Yeah, he's just the um, worst. So yeah, I I love um Sora's face when Riku's like, it's just a joke. It's just like the hmm. ultimate pouts, like Ooh. yeah. <laughs> Why do I hang out with you? Exactly. Um, but yeah, so all the kids, all the kids are kind of messed. Up. They're in different positions. Yeah, the kids get shuffled around. You've got some new dialogue. There were a few lines that were pretty funny to me. So hold on, I have it written down here. Uh, Titus says something like, <laughs> "Yeah, he asks what we're all thinking. Are you and Riku really pals?" <laughs> <laughs> if that's not some uh, underlying dialogue yeah. yeah like there's very much trouble in paradise if even Titus is asking about it I don't remember if it's the second day or the first but Selfie has this really funny line well it's more your response but she's asking like Selfie's like very concerned about Sora and Kyrie because we're not really talking to them apparently but she's like what are you two up to these days we never see you and then Sora's response is wanna duel <laughs> <laughs> Where have you guys up. been? It's been a while. Fight me! <laughs> so yeah, I feel like I can't imagine these this group of misfits like having sleepover. Like I feel like that would be awkward. Um, but yeah, you can you can do like little rematches with them. But yeah, you're collecting ingredients. Uh, one of the mushrooms is very strategically placed in the secret place, secret place. the cave behind. Yeah, it's funny. One of Waka's line is. I think it's day one when he's like, "Me and me and Titus, we're going to explore this place. There's got to be something in there, you know." And he's yeah. like talking about it like it's this big mystery, but like clearly the kids go in there all the time because they're there's a bunch of drawings everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it is day two. It, it is the prompt that's like, "Hey nerd, do you not notice this entrance at yeah. the back of the island? <laughs> you have to go there." Yeah. So yeah, you crawl on in and then. Yeah, there's a bunch of drawings, and a lot of them are actually foreshadowing the whole game, basically. Ooh, I don't think I've looked at any besides the one that obviously Riku, not Riku, 
Sora and Kyrie have the, the or you have the flashback to Sora and Kyrie. Sora adds to it. I only have looked at the other oh, really? ones. Yeah. So te- oh. so so what so what did you, what did you what's your eagle eyes see in the secret place? Because obviously <laughs> I not even eagle eyes. It's just blatant. So um, there's one that definitely looks like the Cheshire Cat. There's one that's kind of Queen of Hearts esque. It has like different like card suits and whatnot. Okay. Um, there's one with a kid and a dog next to them that is very reminiscent of Sora waking up to Pluto and Traverse Town. Mm. Um, there's one with a bunch of butterflies, kind of harkens back to Deep Jungle. Okay. There's a giant castle, which you can kind of assume is Disney Castle. There's a very very obvious Donald Duck. So, okay, yeah, it's just like all sorts of little Easter eggs if you get to know. Kind of go through it. So yeah, take a take a look next time. Yeah, definitely during the cutscene when because there there there's like a there's a few below shots of Sora like from looking like basically from the feet up. And I I remember this time looking at the ceiling, being like, oh yeah, there's a bunch of other drawings, but paying attention more to what's going on in the cutscene. Mm-hmm. But uh, okay. That's a fun fact. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you go get your mushroom, and and spooky cutscene happens. <laughs> Who could this be? <laughs> so Sora's not very, not very surprised by the giant floating rogue hanging in the dark corner. This world's been connected. Where did you come from? <laughs> It's not like it's not like I mean he's he's still scared of it the the robe, but it's not like like he's more of like a gee gee golly's Mister what are you doing in here and not yeah. a, like eternal screaming. Yeah, there's um there's a very awkward line read where the conversation had already started and Sora just just starts talking to him like normal, but then so it's when Sora's like, well, whoever you are, stop freaking me out like this, huh? Yeah. And then he immediately cuts to whoa. Where did you come from? Like, <laughs> like that should have been the first thing he said. So I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened there, or if there was like supposed to be a line in between. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a few lines throughout this first game where it's kind of like the voice actors were not in the same room or something was lost in translation. Mm-hmm. But that line always sticks out to me. <laughs> but yeah, we get this creepy cloak guy basically taunting Sora and telling him he's a he's a lamer. He'll never amount to anything. You're not a real gamer, Sora. Sorry. <laughs> and then he disappears. And Sora's extra motivated to go out and learn what's out there. Exactly. Now, I will say before we exit this, the secret place, yes. obviously the, the big wooden thing in the back opens in like five minutes or, you know, when we talk. Yeah. But right. what is that? Because obviously towards the end of the islands, it opens up and you get sucked in. But 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 what is it? Is, is, is it just a like? I should have inspected it this time. I should have like actually like you know zoomed in and like actually stared at it. But you know it becomes a, it is a door later on. But is it just a door when it's in there? Is there anything special about it whatsoever? It's just a just a plank of wood, no doorknob, yeah. no nothing. It just looks like an ornate like piece of wood that's just back there. Yeah, it's very strange. It obviously stands out a lot. It's like, this doesn't fit in with anything. Yeah. So, yeah, it's again, it's probably just game design shorthand for this is important instead of actually being based on anything in the gotcha. story, really. Yeah, that sounds about right. But yeah, it does open. 
I, I don't know if it opens like it like splits down the middle or if it's just kind of like on hinges and swings. I haven't taken that close a look, but yeah, when you get sucked in, it it opens like a door, like a like it's on a hinge and right. and strips you in. Yeah. So yeah, you get the the almighty mushroom, and should be done at that point. You can get the water from either the waterfall in front of the cave, or there's a little stream um, on the back side of the island next to where the plank falls in the race. <clears throat> yep. But you get them, and you go back to Kyrie. One little fun thing I'd like to point out for the uh, the second area is. Uh, if you take the the crate and throw it and then jump on it, there's a little hole in the wall that you can get to, and there's an optional protect chain that you can get from the chest in there. Yeah, you can get it now as opposed to having to buy it or pick up one later, which is always nice. And it requires you to, you know, you have to actually finesse it, because you have to throw the crates. Because you can't, like, place the crates or the barrels when you pick them up. You have to eat them. So it's, yeah. you know, how, how do I get this close enough to where I can jump up to the hole? Without screwing it up. It's one of the cool things about this area in general. Is it does a really good job of tutorializing exploration, basically. Because that's really what you're doing with gathering all these supplies. But, yeah. you know, with things like this, I think I think this might be the only one, actually. Like, in terms of, like, an optional treasure. It's just a cool way of showing you, like, hey, if you go out of your way to explore, like, you'll probably find something good. Exactly, uh, yeah. And especially, you know, with the uh, protection, like, it actually makes a pretty big difference this early mm-hmm. in the game. Oh, yeah. I imagine for higher difficulty runs, it definitely yeah, totally. helps to have, like, it, you know, it's your first piece of equipment if you get if you do get it, so. So, yeah, just a cool little touch. I also think it's the only um, treasure in the whole island, which is kind of neat. Yep, it is. And it's, yeah, it's purposely in a green box because you don't have a keyblade yet. Oh, yeah, right. So, we, you gather all your, your materials. and Go you... check in with Kyrie. And there's a really nice detail where you can actually see her, see her working on the Oathkeeper charm, mm-hmm. and I it's, think it's actually made of shells, which is really cool. Yeah, I think when you see her right now, it's got three of the five uh, limbs yep. on it. Yeah, yeah, like it's not actually complete, which is just a nice little touch, mm-hmm. especially since you don't really know that that's going to be a thing later. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you talk to her, and then. At the point of no return here, are you sure you don't want to frolic around and enjoy your childhood innocence anymore? And you're like, no. Nope. Take I me to the real Donald world. Duck. <laughs> <laughs> you start the next cutscene, which is one of my, if not my favorite cutscene with Kyrie, where they're on the dock. Yeah, I just like this cutscene because it, it shows Kyrie with, she just has a more fun personality in this yep. one. Because she like teases Sora about like, hey, let's see when I just take the raft together. What? <laughs> He's like, oh no, but uh, I don't like you that way. They, they would have, they would have died quicker if it was just Sora and Kyrie. <laughs> yeah. Without yeah. Riku, they have more supplies to eat for themselves, but they also would have been dead in three days. That's true. It's just fun seeing her like tease him like that because mm-hmm. later on she kind of becomes flat and boring and kind of yeah sad. <laughs> So this is just like a little glimmer of, oh, wait, Kyrie can be fun. Yeah. But yeah, basically, she just says, I just can't wait. Once we set sail, it'll be great. It'll be great. Cut to, <laughs> cut back to Disney Castle. We get to read Mickey's letter. And he basically tells Donald and Goofy 
go to Traverse Town and find the Keyblade and find Leon, which raises a bunch of questions. First of all, how do Dawn and Goofy know where Traverse Town is? Do they have, like, map quests or something? How does Mickey know that Leon knows what a Keyblade is? <laughs> Has Mickey mm-hmm. ever been to Traverse Town? Should, should Traverse Town have even existed, like, before this game? Yeah, because, I mean, we'll get into Traverse Town next episode, but there was a lot of how does this world exist when we, being when we visit it, but also when we come when we come to it in much later titles as well. But but before before the Heartless showed up, oh God, that I mean, this there is a lot of weird continuity stuff around the worlds we're not connected until now. But later games have basically invalidated this again. It's just a letter to kickstart the plot but exactly you take the future games into context well even even this game it's it makes you wonder like has mickey met leon before and told him about keyblades basically so yeah it's it's weird but we'll just take it at face value exactly uh, because that's what donald and goofy do so yeah like we we sort of mentioned earlier uh they recruit jiminy cricket everyone's favorite the fourth party member apparently Minnie had enough uh, foresight to know that this would be an epic quest deserving of recording. We'll get Gemini on this. Uh, there's this weird line again where Donald's it's right about right before they're about to leave and then Donald's like, Daisy, can you take care of? And then she's like, of course. Mm-hmm. What are they talking about? <laughs> what what you, does she need to take care of? What do you like to know? Uh, Daisy, can you uh, delete uh, that that footage off the camera <laughs> so no one can find it? That that'd be great. <laughs> can you just uh, wet my brows first for me? Thanks, honey. <laughs> <laughs> so they get their mission. They set off. And yeah, it makes you wonder how did Jiminy make it to the castle specifically? Uh, we learn his world was taken by the Heartless, uh, and he's the only one who made it somehow. Somehow, he made it. And they get their new outfits, and they talk about the world order. Apparently, this whole alternate worlds things is something you got to keep hush hush. There's the whole gummy ship se- sequence uh, with a cute little gag where the door opens, but then it's just an arrow pointing down, and then the floor drops out from underneath them, and then they're pooped out of the world basically, and then they're off. We have our main plot in place. <laughs> Donald and Goofy are headed to Traverse Town. Another thing I'd like to note is um, Minnie Mouse, her ears are 2D for some reason. Like, they're just a texture, basically. Oh, really? Hmm. Yes, so this is another thing that was pointed out, I think, in a regular Pat video. But um, in the journal with the character viewer, mm-hmm. you can't rotate Minnie. Oh, as soon as you said yeah. that, I was like, I remember not being able to do that, yeah. Yep. It's because her ears are too deep. So if you rotate her, the, the illusion would be shattered. They were too hard to render. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, for, for some reasons, it's just like a shortcut or an oversight to like, eh, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And to be fair, so, we, see Mickey, we only see Mickey once during the entire game, too. So Yep. And he's like kind of in shadow, too. So it, it It's because you can't sense. see the ears. If they saw the ears, we'd be ruined. So cut back to the Stan Islands. Things are not going great. Oh no, the raft. You get to see Sora's very messy uh, teenage boy bedroom. Exactly. Where yeah. his pants are all over the floor. He's got all sorts Sora of crap piled up. 
<laughs> yeah, like he has normal clothes, which is kind of weird. Which like, he refuses just, like, to wear. Khaki pants, yeah. Also, he lays in bed with his shoes on. Like, what's what's wrong with this kid? Yeah, a lot of things, a lot of things. We get the, um, the iconic cold dinner, the mom who we never hear of again, who, fun fact, is voiced by the same voice actress as, um, well, Shock in this game. Oh! Yeah. We head on over to the islands, and it's going down for real. There's a giant uh, apocalypse vortex in the sky. And, yeah, I guess in the real world, we get our first sighting of the Harlots. Yes. Yeah, hide your kids, hide your wife, because they're stealing everyone's hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, I mean, mind you, it is the middle of the night, so there are no other characters in the island except for Sora, Kyrie, and Riku, uh, who apparently also decided to come out to the island at this time of night for reasons. But I, I so, the, the very obvious thing to everybody, well, the one thing I kind of forgot playing this game, I wouldn't even say I was playing it mindlessly, but I was just not thinking at this point. I was just like, okay, gotta get my keyblade. And I just instinctively just started swinging at the shadows, and I'm like, damn, I really, I really, mi- I, I can't hit them. You idiot. <laughs> can't hit them now. Run to read. Yeah. I had, I had that, that, I had a brain fart this time around. I was like, hey, guys, my weapon's not working. And I'm like, oh yeah, there's a reason. Yeah, I imagine that confused a lot of kids and maybe even stopped a lot of playthroughs where it's like, what, the game's broken, like nothing's happening. Yeah. And I will say, because we are on the island at night, there are a few things that stick out. The waterfall sticks out because it's, you know, it's a bright texture. Riku sticks out because he's just another character model that's not completely pitch black. Yeah. Um, is there, uh, and of course the giant door that's sound up in the secret place. Yeah, where'd that come from? Oh boy, who knows? It looks kind of familiar, wink wink. Yeah, I tried seeing if you could um, go to the back half of the island just to see what that looks like at night. Yeah, you I, can. I tried this time too because I was like, I'm just going to murder every heartless on this side, on this, in this area, basically. <laughs> Eventually, yep, you figure out, you go to Riku, and wow, does he really lay it all out there? They, these kids do not give AF about their parents. I'm not afraid of the darkness. We never see our parents again. But I don't, I mean, I don't really care about that. Riku's hungry. Hungry for darkness. So again, not a lot here to redeem Riku. He's just... Definitely, yeah. Willing and able to hop right into the darkness. And you're like, okay, but kind of freaking me out, dude. Exactly. And you did sort of just try to be like, friend, what are you doing? Buddy, let's go. And Riku's like, nah, I'm into this. I'm into this now. <laughs> friends don't let friends turn to darkness. So <laughs> you get engulfed by the darkness. What's that? It's a it's a shiny light of hope. What is you this keyblade? Yeah, you get the keyblade. So you go to secret place to find Kyrie. Um, the door opens. Darkness spews out everywhere. Oh my gosh. Kyrie vanishes into his body, which I, I have questions about that. But <laughs> we'll get to those later. Yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. I kept saying this entire episode that, that you get sucked into the door. No, the door s- spits you back out to the island. Yeah. Yes. And then you're back back out on a little floating piece of the island. What's left of it? Basically, everything else was destroyed. Yeah. yeah. That that escalated quickly. Yeah. I don't think that. I don't think that really. I didn't even really pick that up as a kid. Like, this is what's left of the island now. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty intense for, you know... Exactly, like, the, like, like the first boss, basically. It was storming around you. 
but now, like, there's really a giant, like, there's a giant, essentially, like, source of energy in the sky. Like, there's, like, the part of the island's been stripped and ripped up, and you're just, uh, here with your little buddy Darkseid again. <laughs> yeah, like, it does a really good job of really amping up the stakes from the get-go, so, yeah. like, you kind of know, like, we have a bit of a situation. Exactly. We kind of skipped on Darkseid because we knew we were going to talk about Darkseid here. Yeah, um, let's... Let's chat about him. He's pretty simple. <laughs> yeah, he, there's there's not too well. There's not too much to chat about, but he does do a few interesting things. Um, yeah, really, the best piece of strategy is get get up on the dark side shoulder. Yeah, <laughs> so I he does, to do that. Yeah, his little arm slam into the ground where he starts summoning the shadows. You can climb up his arm, which is. It's just really cool, because it kind of shows you you can interact with the bosses in different ways. Exactly. So once you got that vantage point, you can start wailing on his head, which I'm pretty sure does extra damage, but it also gives you tech points. So it does, yeah. Win-win either way. Uh, but other than that, you can you can swipe at his little handy-handies and piss him off. Uh, I think his most dangerous attack is probably uh, when he starts shooting the beams out of his chest. Oh, uh, yeah. I would say the beams They're Sora-seeking. Yeah. They are definitely the hardest move. I wouldn't say the hardest move, but the, the one you have to actually be careful of, because what does he do? He, he'll he do his Shadow Punch that just makes mobs, which is actually just beneficial, because yeah. he's just late, giving you a weak point and then giving you things to beat up so you can get HP balls, basically. Yep, exactly. Uh, but yeah, the beams do the most damage. you got to be careful. Um, something I didn't really wreck. I didn't... As a kid... I didn't do, I did it when the game got, when I replayed the game and when Remix or Final Mix came out, is that I would just kind of dodge the lasers, but now it's just like, oh, his hands, you know, the vulnerable point are also just sitting there now. So at this point, I I always just go behind the hand, like kind of like a, for the, basically where the elbow is, just smack the hand and the, uh, the beams have a hard time targeting you. Like they'll still come in your general direction. They may hit dark side. They may miss because of their tracking. They do hit right. sometimes. Uh, but as long as you're swinging your sword, uh, you also have a chance of deflecting them and getting tech points. Yep, so it's exactly. kind of just a win-win situation at that point. Yeah, you're pretty good. It's like a 50-50 if they'll actually hit you. And even if they do, like you said, like there's a good chance you'll just deflect them depending on where you're at in your combo. Exactly. So yeah, there's not too much to you know, not really. be on the I... lookout for him. <laughs> it was funny. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure my level difference between fighting him in the Dive to the Heart and Destiny Islands, but I beat him up in like six, seven, maybe seven combos this time. I was like, okay, I'm ready. It's Dark Side. Let's. Th- this fight has been like maybe a minute and a half, and I'm, I'm okay. That was yeah, my, that, that seems was, pretty fast. That was my experience this time. I I don't remember if it took too fast or too slow. It seemed pretty average this time. Yeah. Did you did you actually do any sort of grinding like with the shadows? I guess, I guess actually yeah. To be fair, I did get the Keyblade. Like I'm gonna just go around the I'm gonna roam area one as I always refer to it as, and just beat up every heartless that comes up. And I did I did gain like two to three levels, so that might, oh, might wow. have, that might have made a difference because there Probably. are there are an abnormal amount of shadows actually. Yeah, did you like actually clear it where uh, yep. they wouldn't spawn anymore? Yeah. Wow, I didn't so really they, they, they pop up in certain areas. Like if you walk over to the door to area two, there's some that go up there. You go under the bridge, some there. Riku's Island, there's some there. 
So there's mm-hmm. just, just they have like their little groups of spawn points basically. And I'll usually just clear Riku's Island because yeah, I you know they kind of spawn in groups and then they won't spawn there after you kill enough. Exactly. Yeah. But after that, I'm I'm over it. I'm like okay, I'm impressed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Dark Side's not too. He's not too tough, but it's still really satisfying when you do beat him because just because it feels like such a helpless situation. Exactly. So it's it's nice to be victorious and you know actually escape from this this hell predicament. Sora's mm-hmm. <laughs> hanging on for his his little pinky of faith, uh, but eventually gets sucked up into the swirling vortex of doom. Then yeah, that's. That's that's game over. Hey guys, that's the entirety of Kingdom Hearts <laughs> One. Thank you for joining us. It's been a wonderful Snake. it's been a wonderful Snake. journey. Snake. <laughs> so yeah, that's that is Destiny Islands wrapped. The whole thing is engulfed by darkness, so sorry. I'm sorry if any of you like the islands, they're gone. They're totally gone forever and they'll never show up ever again. That that about covers it. So overall, I mean it's just a tutorial. But for the amount of stuff you could do and kind of how it explains how the game works, I feel like it works really well. It's it's nice how it can be as fast or as slow as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. I always appreciate that. And I, you know, these first few hours, and definitely Triverstone too, but the opening works so well for me because there's just such a great sense of progression. Because definitely. kind of... Kind of like I alluded to earlier, like you see so many different locations. You know, there's there's an intro cutscene, but then there's the awakening. There's the islands. The first day, you know, cut to Disney Island or Disney Castle. Then day two of the island, back to Disney Castle, and then the island, but doomed yeah. diversion. So it just feels like so much happens in such a short space where like you can really feel things escalating. Exactly, and I'm kind of saying here now. I have. Surprisingly, I have a good amount of notes in Traverse Town, because I have some thoughts and feelings about Traverse Town we'll talk about next week. But this this game essentially does have a three-part tutorial. There's uh, the dive to your awakening, your dive to the heart, whatever you prefer to call it. That's your, you, you're sticking your pinky toe in into the water. Destiny Islands is you stepping in. But then Traverse Town is you taking the dive, and then the game opens up. Once Pretty you, much. Once yeah, you, totally. Ta- the initial Traverse Town experience. Yeah. We'll definitely touch on this more as we go throughout, because just in general, I think that's one of the game's biggest strengths, is just the pacing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I feel like the beginning is exactly the length it needs to be. It's not too long, it's not too short, there's not really any fat to trim. Um, you have everything you need in terms of understanding the plot and what's going to happen next. Next episode will be Traverse Town. We'll check in on Sora to see if he's okay. But, um... <laughs> Maybe who knows? Maybe it's all a dream. So yeah, we will we will be back next week. More fun, more to talk about. Did we figure out our um, our sign off? I don't. <laughs> Besides the fade out music, not really. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Okay, let me let me add that to my to do list. By episode three, we'll have a solid solid. We'll have three poor closing people. line. We'll have three fourths cool. of the podcast figured out by episode three. Got you. Yeah. We're getting there. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, this has been Kingdom Hearts by Heart, episode two. Thanks so much for listening. Um, We hope you enjoy listening to us, but also, hopefully you're playing the game along with us, enjoying revisiting it. And if you're you're three kids who live on an island, just, just 
just don't go out to sea by yourselves. Please. That's all I ask. Yeah. You're gonna have a bad time. <laughs> Alright, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.